0: Welcome! Your fearless aging podcast is taking off. The cheers are for you, wanting to age and live fearlessly. Here's your host, America's healthy aging trainer and creator of the ageless living lifestyle, Rico Coveglia.
1: Hello, this is Rico Cavellia and this is your fearless aging podcast, where in every episode, my guests and I, we strive to offer you proven tips and strategies that you can implement immediately to greatly improve your overall health and well-being. So we're here to inspire you and empower you to become your best self so you can go out and make a bigger, better, positive difference in the world. And we definitely need you to do that. Now, before I introduce our uh, this episode and our expert guest, I have a question for you. If you're wondering how well you are aging, well, I have the solution for you. You can go to my main website, agelesslivinglifestyle.com, and take our aging assessment. And if you don't like the results, just right there, you can book a free wellness call with me, and we can discuss what challenges you're having, and I'll do my best to get you going on the right track. So go to agelesslivinglifestyle.com and take our aging assessment. All right, so I'm really excited about this episode because this is going to be some really valuable information. So, so you you definitely want to pay attention and stay with us for the whole episode because you're going to get some really valuable information. So we're going to be talking about the new book, The Knee and Shoulder Handbook. It's the keys to a pain-free and active life. And the author and our guest is Dr. Alan Resnick. He's an MD, an MBA, a F-A-A-O-S. He's a board-certified orthopedic surgeon specializing in arthroscopic surgery and sports medicine. Connecticut Magazine has named him a top doc for more than two decades, and he is also recognized as one of America's top physicians by the Consumers Research Council of America. Dr. Resnick has served as team physician for the U.S. Tennis Open and the New Haven Knights professional hockey team. He's widely published with over 60 journal articles and he's also the author of "I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up: A Guide to, f- to Fall and Risk pre- Prevention." So, Doctor Resnick, thanks so much for being here.
0: Uh, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited because I, you know, I really congratulate you on, on your book, and you really offer everybody some really good information and some solutions that so many people are dealing with, including myself. So, I'm really, I'm really happy to have you here, and really. Uh, I know we're gonna have some really good good valuable information for everyone. so let's start off by uh, as we we were, were talking before we came on uh, what was your motivation for uh, for writing this book?
0: well it's you know it's um as I told you a little earlier, we talked about that my engineering background I started as a chemical engineer and and medical school was um came to me as as a lucky event because I needed to make money. Uh And I ended up working for a bunch of doctors in a research project. And at the end of three years, they said to me, you know, we think you'd be a good doctor. You should apply to medical school. Uh And then I was lucky enough to get into Yale Medical School. And when I got into Yale Medical School, I said, oh, my God, they must be right. (laughs) So, Uh you know, one thing leads to another. And then because I was an engineer, uh, I was attracted to the mechanics and the physics of orthopedics um, and through You know, one thing leading to another, the mechanics and physics of it got me into orthopedics itself. And then inside orthopedics, my approach was a little bit different, more scientific in a lot of ways for a bunch of things. And so that led to explaining things to people in a different way. And then after doing it for a number of years, I realized, how do I leave this to my patients? You know, how do I make my patients more educated? And over time, I started to write small booklets, and then someone suggested I should put it together into a big book. Um, and the handbook was born yeah well i
1: well congratulations for that and i thank you for that as well because it's such a good service that you're offering so uh, i'm sure as most people are aware too so many people are dealing with i think we have a statistic down here is more than 100 million people are struggling with chronic pain and 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 primarily with knees and shoulders and it's a it's a huge expense in, in treating all these all these problems so why don't we kind of go through your book and maybe talk about, you know, start maybe start with the knee and go to the shoulder. So what are some of the common injuries and, and, and problems people are having with their knees? And, and what are the, some of the causes? And then what can, they, can people do both themselves and then, you know, with, an, with, with a doctor, with a orthopedist uh, treatments?
0: Yeah, I think I think the first thing is that people's main question: is, Should I see the doctor? You know, what you know, I hurt myself. Should I see the doctor? And I have a couple of rules of thumb to start with. So, you know, the classic thing is you're training and your muscles are sore for a day or two, and you get better. That's mm-hmm. all good. Um, you're training, your muscles are sore, and they don't get better, maybe not so good. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, if if you start to notice swelling in a joint and pain in a joint after exercise, and then every time you exercise it hurts, that's not good at all. If there's swelling and some deformity or inability to move, you can't lift your shoulder past a certain point. You can not bend or straighten your knee. Okay. Not so great. So I always tell people like normal stuff, aches and pains, muscle sore gets better the next day. Not to, not to worry too much, maybe modify your exercise a little bit and and get a routine that's more comfortable. But if you have a uh, joint swelling, pain, loss of range of motion, locking, buckling, giving away, we, we could talk about a little more later, uh-huh. um, or Inability to lift things, dropping things, dropping your arm when you pick up overhead, those things are more indicative of a real injury. You really should be seen and evaluated. And I also don't like it that people sometimes wait too long. You know, oh, yeah, how long has it been swollen? Oh, two years. (laughs) Swollen for two years is not a good thing. Right. Why didn't you come? Well, I thought it would go away. Well, after six months, it didn't go away. After a year, it didn't go away. Two years later, it didn't go away. It's not going away. Mm -hmm. So I think people fool themselves sometimes too. They think it's going to get better by itself and it's already well past that 90, 120 days of uh, it's not getting better. Mm -hmm. So my first thing is like, think about what's wrong. Think of it's a mechanical problem in the joint or the muscles and then see if it's getting better or not with simple treatments. And you start to see things that are not getting better. Then it's time to check in and get it figured out. So we'll start with that. And then we could start talking about more specifics.
1: Yeah. So so, so I I I assume then that, you know like uh, knee and shoulders are, are the, probably the most common injuries that that you see people for.
0: Yeah, I think I think they're they're common and they're and they're problematic, right? So the knee and shoulder yeah. are the more complicated joints, right? The knee is carefully balanced with four main ligaments, two meniscus, and then the quads and hamstrings and the muscles around the joint, and so balancing and twisting and pinning pivoting on the knee is very important and if you tear your cruciate ligament let's say a common thing right uh-huh. soccer injury land twist pivot or clipping injury you hit from the side and your ligament goes out well you may find that you can't pivot anymore you can't do a cutting maneuver in sports and your knee is unstable and swells every time well that that's something that that is a common common problem probably much more common as a plane toward meniscus or kneecap pain yeah I've had that. That as well um, and in the shoulder, uh, more commonly, people have rotator cuff tendinitis and bursitis, but some people dislocate it in a sport, and then the dislocations recur, or they have true weakness after rotator cuff tear and the strength doesn't come back. So those are things to think about as well. And those are the more common problems I see. And then there's a lot more things, we, you know, that are more specific for specific injuries. Um, and then there's a whole category of things we talk about younger patients where they're, you know, overuse injuries in children. So I see that whole gamut of stuff. And then there's the working injuries. You know, someone is a, a working athlete. I love that term. Uh, you know, you work very hard at a specific job or even a, a hobby. Let's say I'm a craftsman and I'm my hobby is building furniture and I'm uh-huh. sanding and lifting and cutting all day using a hammer a lot or a screwdriver a lot. I might develop shoulder pain based on repetitive use in that activity. Yeah. And I'm now a working athlete. I don't necessarily have to be a weekend warrior to have these injuries. hmm uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and of course, uh, being out of shape and overweight p- puts a lot of extra stress on your joints as well. So so let's talk a little bit about prevention then. To begin, with, what, what would you recommend that so many people are having knee injuries and shoulder injuries? What do you recommend that people, how can they, what should they be doing as far as exercise or, or strengthen their joints so they can prevent injuries in the future?
0: Yeah, I think the very, very first thing you do is, and and I see this always in seasonal changes when the new season starts, is and as simple as anything, check the conditions, right? So uh, I come out early spring and there's still black ice, you know, yeah. um, or, you know, I come out the field has got a giant pothole or a gopher hole or something and I don't see it. So to, you know, I like people to go out, inspect the field, take a second, walk around. If it's the very beginning of a season, uh-huh. you know, do your does your equipment still fit you? You know, someone has knee pads, shoulder pads, they're worn out, they don't fit, the Velcro doesn't work anymore, they pull it out of the attic, you know, some moth has eaten it, whatever, you know, so you make sure you have good equipment, make sure it fits, make sure it it's functioning, make sure the field conditions are reasonable, especially in the beginning of a season, those are going to prevent a lot of injuries right off the bat. The other thing I I like people to recognize is that your muscle memory and your brain memory are two different things, right? So you have muscle memory that you can repetitively learn how to do something and your brain mm-hmm. memory of what you used to do. Right. And then there's an off season, right? You're not doing that activity for a while Now in San Diego. You, I know you're in San Diego. There's, there's no off season. You can play sports all year round. Yeah. But if you live in a place where there's winters, like I do in Connecticut. yeah, um, Some people don't golf as much in the winter or they play tennis indoors as opposed to outdoors. They have sporadic changes. Now it's actually good to do different things all the time. It's not good to do the same thing all the time. But at the same time, when you start up, you sometimes remember your best shape of the last season and you're not ready for it yet. So a little extra warm up, a little extra stretching, stretching before and after um, planning for shorter intervals when you first start out a new sport or return to a sport. Don't go out and say, oh, I'm going to do two sets of double tennis and then I'm going to play singles on Saturday. And then by Sunday, I'm going to be ready for the club championship and yeah. played all winter. So yeah you know, it's, it's that quick startup that people like, Oh, I can get back to my old form instantly. then they pull their back or they hurt their knee or they hurt their shoulder and then they're out for the season. So they haven't done themselves a favor by doing that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, well, don't you also think that, and, and, and particularly for people who, who aren't into being an athlete or, or play in sports and they still get, get end up injuring themselves too. So don't, don't you think everybody should embark on a, on a basic overall exercise program and strengthen their muscles. You know, just like if you know, if you if you strengthen the mu- your quads and your legs, and you strengthen your shoulders and have more muscular, which support the joints. There's less opportunity, less chance that you will injure a joint, no matter what you're doing, whether you're just in your daily activities, working, or are are, are playing sports.
0: Yeah, and you and you actually touched on something really important there that that um, even small amounts of exercise are beneficial. You know, if you want to stay healthy. They show like even 20 minutes of walking a day, regardless of you participating in sports, can really help your brain function, your general health, and your yeah. longevity just in and of itself. And even if you do that five days a week, it's enough. So if you're a weekend athlete and you don't have the 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 20-minute walks during the week, it's probably not ideal, you know, and you're probably going to get yourself into trouble. Um, and then varying the activities is important. So like, you know, someone is always doing the same exact activity right. all the time. That's not ideal either. So I like variety. I like some level. And even if it's a low level of simple stuff, like for example, not, not today, but I had an interview last week and I have to have an hour and a half before the interview it was enough time to get a five mile bike ride in, you know, then um, I pop on the interview and I say, oh, I just got back from my five mile bike ride. I feel great. you know. Um, I did, I did one yesterday afternoon. And I'm probably going to exercise after this one before I go back to some evening meetings I have to attend tonight. But, you know, so, it's hard. I think that's the hard thing, right? It's hard for everyone. It's hard for me to get up the motivation to pull that off. But I'm always happy when I do. So I try to remind myself that I'm happy I've done it uh, when I'm looking around. And go! Oh, I got to put my sneakers on. You know, I got to do that extra ten minutes of exercise today that I haven't done yet. So uh, I think that you know, if you put aside a little motivational thing and you find a little bit in yourself to even do a small amount, even if it's every other day you're going to be better off and your injury rate on the weekend is going to go down because you can be more limber, a little better shape in general and warming up will be easier too.
1: Yeah. No question. Yeah. I try and teach people, you know, even like I say just a basic overall full body strengthening, uh, exercise even a couple of times a week will help to prevent injuries and in, no matter what you're doing in the, and I like what you said about, it makes you feel happy. I just recently, uh, uh, I actually did a, a podcast my, just myself, called a real happy hour instead of you know happy hour where you go and just get you know trying to make yourself feel better yes. by taking alcohol if you just will get into you know to doing some regular exercise when you finish your exercise routine you just feel so good all the endorphins but also you feel good about yourself that you actually did it and it and it lasts a lot longer so that's a real happy hour if you want to make yourself have a happy hour just get out move your body on a regular basis and you'll you'll be a lot happier
0: yeah it's it's so true. The other piece of what you said, which I'm going to I don't want to circle back to and and this is something for shoulder problems in particular okay um and I see this in youth sports, but I see it in every age so it's it's also something to talk about. People underestimate the value of the body as a chain right a force chain from the floor wow. to your hand. so what happens and I see baseball pitchers with terrible elbow problems or terrible shoulder problems, and you know maybe some back issues or whatever. And they get treated. They may even have a surgery on their shoulder and they don't get better. And then so what's wrong? And I just have them stand up and do a simple hip balance test. And their hip balance is terrible. They, they ride a bike all day. They do leg press 200 pounds and they, they do quads and, you know, hamstring curls, but no one's ever asked them to stand on one leg and do a partial squat and see if they actually have control of the hip. And the hip and the shoulder uniquely have small muscles that control rotational motion and large muscles that power them, right? The small muscles are really keen and important for balance and performance. In mm-hmm. the shoulder, the small muscles, the rotary cuff in particular is the smaller muscles, pull the ball into the socket. And when it pulls it into the socket, it gives you more smooth motion and allows the deltoid and all the other muscles to work better. If the rotator cuff fails, the deltoid pulls the, rotator, the shoulder up, the humeral head up, and now rubs against the bone above it, and now you get tendonitis, bursitis that won't go away. Now, someone can have that, but if they have poor hip control, they're also overthrowing with their arm because they don't have good hip control and they're not using their body to move forward. Yeah, so It's all in the hips, yeah. Right. So, poor hip control, they can't transfer the force from the ground to their upper body through their torso. They rely on their cuff and elbow to catch up for that. They already have problems because the rotator cuff's weakened, and then they get a rotator cuff tendonized bursitis, and ultimately a rotator cuff tear. If someone operates on the shoulder, we never ask them to do a balance test. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's so important for a throwing athlete. Yeah, that's out. so important. So, so um, I see that almost every day in the office. I'll see a young athlete with problems. The other thing people underestimate is, um, is how growth. and and I mean growth in a lot of ways. So like, like, let's say I grow my muscles by doing heavy, heavy weights, right? Now I make my muscles very heavy and I have very, very slow twitch, very strong muscles Mm -hmm. and I'm doing an agility sport. (laughs) I'm playing tennis, right? Uh, I'm not better because I'm stronger. I'm actually worse, right? Mm -hmm. Or I happen to be a long distance runner, but I weigh 245 pounds and I do leg presses, (laughs) you know, of 250 just to make sure I'm strong enough to run. You know, you, there's no no surprise why the the very skinny people from from Africa win the marathon because genetically yeah. they're they're being chased by tigers and cheetahs and they got to outrun them, uh, and they're genetically designed to run long distances. The um, interesting little aside, just for your your audience, it's it's kind of funny is that people wonder why uh, Homo sapiens survived over over a Neanderthal. Neanderthal was bigger, stronger, and a bigger brain, but Homo uh-huh. sapiens were lighter and quicker. And there are some people who believe that they just basically outran them, that their endurance running, the ability to outrun them, uh, and run them to the ground. In other words, like you know, chase chase a heavier animal and like a rhinoceros, rhinoceros can only run at a high speed for so long. If you chase it enough, throw rocks at it, whatever. You'll exhaust it. And at some point they won't be able to get off the ground. And 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 even a scrawny homo, homo sapien, you know, can can actually take a rhinoceros down if a team of them work together to exhaust the animal, even though the yeah. rhinoceros are one of the most dangerous animals in the world. Yeah. Land. Yeah. So so our ability to be vertical, our ability to separate our breathing from our running, we 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 actually can pant while we're running where our animals can't. Some people attribute that our ability to our survival, but also gives us endurance for sports. Uh-huh. so um you know everything's a puzzle right you have your endurance for sports you have your ability to breathe while you're running but if you have a body shape habitus or conditioning program that puts you at a disadvantage for your sport you have to be sensitive to that you know and i think there's there's a lot of training stuff that oh i'm going to train up and people don't really tear all their training to the sport that they're going to do and that's also a cause of injury for some patients yeah so, absolutely so- I love that matching up of the ideas. What is the sports I like? What are complementary sports in the off season that work other parts of my body? How do I do weightlifting comfortably to be best for my sport? And uh, and optimize everything if you can. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, I can go into any gym and I watch people not only are they doing a lot of things wrong, you know, not with a good balance or good alignment good posture and breathing but they're they're just doing stuff they don't even know why they're doing it, and it may not be what they need to be doing. So that that that's such an important point you made. And and also I was going to say, you talk about you know strengthening the small like stabilizer muscles. Isn't that why core training is so good because it helps to to activate all your your stabilizer muscle that that will keep you stable in the spine and in the hips? Yeah,
0: it's very important. But but again, and find control too is like if your shoulder. You know, people don't understand this, but maybe you can see if I if I hold my hand, the, the socket for shoulders, socket for hip is very round and the ball fits in it. It's very tight. The socket for shoulder is very flat and the ball's round. The small muscles are required to keep it in the socket, right? Same thing in the knee, in a way, the so- the knee socket, the actual bottom is the tibial plateau. It's the top of the tibia plateau, because it's the top of a mountain, right? Uh-huh. On top of it is the femur is very round. So it's it's sort of that, right? That that motion that the round is on, on the right. There's a mismatch between the curvature of the round and the flat, and you make that up with the meniscus cartilage, right? So for okay. instance, how oh, I torn my meniscus, right? Yeah. What is that all about? The meniscus are little O-rings that are wedge-shaped that match up the round surface to the flat surface, so the wow. weight-bearing is spread evenly. So the meniscus takes 50% of the weight. Now, 50 years ago, we thought the meniscus was a vestigial structure. It was something you didn't need vestigial, meaning you don't need it. There's sort of like people think you don't need your appendix, right? So we used to take the whole meniscus out and it guaranteed that person that they we're going to have arthritis in her knee. Now we try, if possible, if the meniscus is repairable, and we can talk about that as a separate topic today. Yeah. If it's repairable, we like to try to repair it, put it back. If there's a good chance it to heal, obviously if it's not a good chance to heal, then it doesn't make sense. But if you can get it to heal and keep it, that's better. Yeah, so okay. we're going to keep these joints matching up in their function, small muscles for the rotator cuff, the meniscus and the ligament for the knee, Losing those usually ends up causing long-term instability or arthritis, ultimately, and so that's why most of my job is preserving those structures.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I, th- I think the shoulder—the the shoulders are more complex joint than the other joints, right? And it has a larger range of motion. That's why it's—I mean, we a lot of people, so, so many have people have trouble with their shoulders because, I mean, th- we have a large range of motion that we can do with our shoulder more than we can with our knee or hip
0: joint, right? right well the shoulder is all about positioning the most important part of your body in, in space your hand yeah yeah okay. and the, and the amazing part of that and i and again something that's the enge- appeals to the engineer in me imagine gps right so you have a gps you know where your car is you turn the screen on it tells you where your car is mm-hmm. you can find out where you're going right think for one second and you just close your eyes you can most people can touch their nose or get very close to their nose with their hand and if you think about all the moving parts in between, the GPS for your finger and your nose is really, really good. Yeah. And diagnostically, one of my problems is for patients, they come in with a complaint, and the GPS for the inside of your body is nowhere as good. So you heard the common thing, oh, I'm having a heart attack, my left arm hurts, right? Why is that? Because the map of where your heart is is imprecise, and the nerves that go to your arm on the left side are close to the nerves that go to your heart, and your body gets confused and thinks your arm is hurting you. Oh, yeah. same is true for the knee and the hip. So the knee and the hip, the femur, the bone in between is one bone, right? You know the song, The Knee Bone is connected to mm-hmm. the hip bone. will sing it, right? It's, but it's yeah. true. And yeah. because that song is true, some people have a hip problem and perceive it as knee pain. And some people have a knee problem oh. and perceive it as hip pain. Oh, yeah. uh, and sometimes it's pain in the middle, and it could be either one. And I had a patient today, and I have patients almost uh, twice a week that come in with terrible knee pain, and their primary problem is their hip is not good um and you cannot their gps of their hip and their knee is so poor you cannot convince them it's their hip until you actually rotate their hip and it hurts and you flex and extend their knee and it doesn't hurt so it's a little bit of a tell same thing with the shoulder you know you mentioned very nicely that the shoulder is the most mobile joint in the body and the reason it's so mobile is that the surface it sits on the socket is the is part of the scapula shoulder blade right Mm -hmm. the ball is separate the shoulder blade rides on the ribs, but is not attached directly to the ribs by anything but muscles. It's a lot of freedom of movement. You know yourself, you wiggle around and your shoulder blade moves all over the place, right? Right. So you yeah. have a full 30% of the motion of your arm is in your shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. And in a physical exam, when I see someone, sometimes it's a little tell. I'm looking at you and watching you moving and I'm seeing a dyskinesis that, that's a fancy word. What it means is that the motion of one shoulder doesn't look like the other. Uh-huh. Right? like sort of Sesame Street. The one thing doesn't look like the other We pick it out. We see it across the room. And I look at their back sometimes when I feel the need to, and I'll see the shoulder blade pops out or wings. So one shoulder blade will move uniform and the other one will pop up. And that's a tell that maybe there's a cartilage or and instability in the shoulder because the shoulder blade is trying to make up for it and make the shoulder more stable by moving itself in an abnormal way. And so little tips, you know, when you see people, there's little tricks and tips of finding out what's wrong.
1: Yeah, and I think you you offer a lot of that in, in your book. But, but I got I, before I forget, I want to ask you this question though. I've always wondered this. I mean, you know how far we've advanced technology technologically. You know, we can send rockets to the other planets and all these things. So why haven't we been able to develop a new meniscus or a new piece of cartilage that can we can just put it in there and, and solve our, our 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 joint problems? I I don't know. I, don't, you know, I know there's all these injections and they work maybe some a little bit, but but why can't we 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 create a new a new meniscus or a new cartilage in
0: our knee? Yeah, so they so this is um, this is a great question because first of all, people don't understand the magical surface that we have. You know, the the cartilage surface itself is probably one of the least friction bearing surfaces possibly you could make. And the reason it's so good is because inside the knee joint are um, very large molecules called hyaluronic acid. You've seen the gel shots. You've heard of that. Mm -hmm. Your body normally makes that molecule. It's a huge molecule that imbibes water into it. You know, it gets water into it and it becomes like a little water ball bearing. Mm -hmm. And because the cartilage surface has a spongy nature to it, the water comes in and out of the cartilage surface and creates this film layer. And you've seen a car hydroplane, right? You know, right? You could get into a bad wet spot, and you the wheels Mm -hmm. start to move, and they could be spinning, and you have no control, Mm -hmm. right? Why? There's no friction between you and the road because there's a thin layer of water between the surfaces. Oh, yeah. Well, when you walk and you compress the cartilage, water is released, and you basically hydroplane the two surfaces against each other with a specialized molecule, the hyaluronic acid, which is this giant lubricating molecule. Is that what
1: the what the synovial fluid is made of?
0: Yeah, the slow food has liquid and water and hy- hyaluronic acid and a bunch of other proteins, but mainly that. And that lubrication is so good that we can't really reproduce it as well. Wow. Right. So we do have artificial things and we can dive into this a lot because it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. The, one of the most magical things we do now, which is which is called Macy, which is a matrix that we put uh articular cartilage into, and it's actually a multi-stage procedure. So I have someone who is younger, you know, you can't be, you know, 45, 50 is probably the oldest you can do it, but let's say I have a hole in the cartilage surface and there's a pothole in the road. It's a certain size because it is a size range where this process works and doesn't work. If it qualifies for all the criteria you need, you can harvest a little tiny piece of cartilage like a chiclet or a tiny little piece uh, from the knee, arthroscopically, optically, uh-huh. send it to a special lab. That lab will amplify the cells, clone them. They'll be your cartilage cells, but amplified. Start with uh, 5,000 yeah. cells and make 10 million. They take a piece of collagen and they impregnate your cells into the collagen. And then they send it back to me. And then I implant that in your knee and that will grow your cartilage back.
1: Are those, are those also classified
0: as stem cells or what? It's not stem cells, it's actual cartilage cells. Oh,
1: it's actually cartilage so, cells. So stem
0: cells, this is a little confusion. Stem cells, yeah. we put them in, we hope and pray your body will turn them into the right thing. Yeah. Most of the time, actually, they turn into fibroblasts, which just makes scar tissue. Uh, right? yeah. But this is a situation where you're taking cells that are already designated as, as cartilage cells, specialized cells per cartilage, that make cartilage matrix. And you're amplifying those cells specifically for that function, and then we're re-implanting them. So it's fantastic yeah. technology, right? And so that's,
1: is that, is that readily available yet or not?
0: It's available. I've, I'm, it's been around for a long time. There were other ways to do it 20 years ago that were technically more difficult. Um, it's a little, it's better now because of this newer version of it. In the last five or 10 years, it's been a lot better and more doable. It is uh, time consuming in that it requires a minimum of two surgeries. I have a harvest surgery and, a, and an implant surgery and sometimes a follow-up surgery after that. Um, and it's a process, right? It takes time of non weight bearing, protecting it to let the cartilage cells heal. So it is a bigger commitment. um It's for people of certain size defects with a lot of qualifications. So usually you scope the knee, you see the defect, you know that the defect might qualify, you make measurements, you then harvest, you put it aside, then the patient has to decide uh-huh. to proceed. And of course, we have to get pre approval from the insurance company that in fact they make all the criteria that makes them a possible success. But it's probably not covered by insurance, is it? It is covered for certain things, certain Certain things, certain certain size defects. So if I had a defect that was the size of a dime, it wouldn't be covered. Okay. But something between a quarter and a half dollar in the middle of a weight-bearing surface of an important part of the knee, that might be covered. Because if you're young enough, that might prevent you from getting a total knee later or reduce your odds of getting a total knee. That may be be Uh, worthwhile.
1: So how much longer do you think it'll be before that's going to be pretty mainstream and everybody's going to be able to have that kind of a situation? Yeah, you
0: know, it, the problem with the, with all these things is there's a physical limitation to how it works. So in this case, and not to get too technical, but just imagine if, if the pothole was really worn down on all the edges and there was no way to contain the edge of the pothole. The edges are all broken up. Okay. Um, it really needs a pothole with well-defined edges to keep the cells in place. Oh, okay so only certain potholes qualify for that technique if there are so, potholes on both sides of the road the tibia and the femur they generally the potholes start to damage each other and putting it in usually walking around damages it so you, it it's not durable enough while it's healing to tolerate that so both services simultaneously usually not indicated doesn't typically work um so is that so, why you
1: said it, it. It depends on your age. If, if you're older, it's not probably not it's probably too warm. Yeah, your then.
0: own cells don't really degenerate as well. It's your yeah. cells, right? So past yeah. a certain age, and then and then on the flip side, past a certain age, knee replacement, partial knee replacement, patellofemoral replacement is more reliable and more predictable on only one operation. Yeah, and okay. actually less expensive, believe it or not. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, you know, if you're 70 years old you're not going to do a cartilage transplantation where you're going to be off your leg and doing all this rehab and stuff like that. When, if you really need a knee replacement and you have it done and in six weeks, you're like back to normal, Yeah, you know, your recovery is much faster and more reliable and the re- downside risks are, are lower these days than they used to be, you know, 20 years ago, the downside risks were higher. Now they're better. The more technically advanced we get with doing those, the, the better we are with anesthesia, pain control, postoperative stiffness. The more reliable those procedures become, the more likely you are to use them as more predictable procedures than a biologic. Biological things are more finicky. And you know, the funny thing, uh, you know it's a little aside, in medical school, you learn about all this great stuff. It's all theoretical. Then in residency, you do all these great surgeries. It's all good. When you become a physician, you've been a physician and practice more than 30 years like I have, you've seen all the good, bad, and ugly of everything. Mm-hmm. And you realize there's a lot of handholding involved in the biological solutions, because yeah. they take much longer to heal. Yeah. So, you know, if you can put in something that's reliable and quick, and you don't have to rely on someone's biology as much, then then those solutions tend to be better tolerated by the patient and require less hand holding, right? Yeah. Uh, the biological ones, you have very finicky in the rehab, you have to be very specific, it's like baking a souffle versus making a bread. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, it's the a mechanical lot more del- ones are making a bread, but if I'm building a souffle and I open the oven too many times, it's not going to work. It's more delicate, yeah, much more well, delicate. So I love that stuff, but it is harder on yeah it <laughs> Well, do
1: don't, it. don't don't you think that that also? I'm I'm pretty sure knee replacements are becoming less invasive all the time, and they're able to do Absolutely. it a lot a lot simpler, right? And and
0: with yeah, yeah. In I, my I practice, remember, I, I actually don't do them because everyone's become super specialized, and over the years. Oh, yeah. I've kind of gone to the biological ligament reconstruction replacement, rotator cuff, cartilage repairs, all the things that are trickier and finickier sort of my my kind of ball of wax these days. Um and some of my partners are just do all they do is total knees all week, you know, that's all they do. So oh, yeah. it, it's it's become much more um more defined that way. You know, you tiptoe into certain waters and someone says, Okay, I'm I'm gonna send you to someone else for that one, <laughs> you know. Um But, you know, when I started practice, everyone did everything because there weren't any super specialists. You know, you had to do, I did level one trauma for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I did kids and pediatric surgery and I took care of club feet and all those things because there was no fellowships or training in any of that stuff. When I started Mm -hmm. orthopedic surgeon, you did everything. Now it tends the people training now tend to train in smaller areas of expertise. The fund of knowledge is so much bigger. It's so much harder to be an expert in all the areas of orthopedics. So I think that's part of the problem. Um, you know, but then again, you don't get the crossover fertilization of ideas as much. Like I like doing these in shoulders because some of the shoulder techniques, you know, you don't use a tourniquet on a shoulder. Can you can imagine you can't put a tourniquet around someone's shoulder and actually operate. So there's a lot of techniques in the shoulder that you do because you can avoid bleeding and control bleeding very well and see arthroscopically. And those techniques are really well defined in shoulder arthroscopy. A lot of people for knee arthroscopy, put a tourniquet on, they don't worry about those things, but because I'm a crossover kind of physician, I do both. I do the same techniques in the knee and the shoulder. and I don't use a tourniquet. There's less post-op pain, less quads weakness when you do it that way. It's a little more tedious at the time of surgery, It requires a couple of tricks, um, but I find that the patients are better off doing it that way. So, you know, I always find that the best advances in everything is when someone crosses over. You know, I take some engineering experience and I cross it into medicine yeah. or I take my shoulder experience and cross it into knee or knee experience and cross it over the shoulder. And I find you make more advances that way. Yeah,
1: that's that's so good. Well, it's like in everything, you know, uh, every, you know, whatever you're dealing with, there's a certain level of skills that, that people have. So it's no question, just like everything else, some surgeons are more knowledgeable and better skilled at doing the job than, than others. That, that's kind of a... a well, talk maybe it's, talk a little bit about that. How would you know if, if say, you, you do need a, re, a knee replacement or a shoulder replacement? Uh, what would you say to tell people to how could they really uh, discern whether they're who they're referred to would be a, a, a good choice to have as their yeah, surgeon?
0: I think when you're talking about knee replacement, shoulder replacement, hip replacement, there's a little more wiggle room in there because. People don't feel that it's an emergency to them. You know, they've had hip pain for a long time and they've got right. to the point where they need their hip replaced or their knee. Right. And so, they there's a lot more shopping, if you will, in in that area. Um, so I always find it interesting. People do ask me that question. They ask me first question. They ask me is like, how do I know I need it, right? Yeah. And a lot of people say, you'll know. Um, I don't feel that so satisfying because yeah. uh, some people's you'll know is they're limping miserably and everyone in the room knows they need it and they don't even notice. Uh, mm-hmm. or they pretend they don't notice mm-hmm. um but most people it's quality of life you know their quality of life starts to diminish and if you find every day you're thinking twice about doing the simplest things you need it done you know that you, you get get your quality of life back um as you know the little bit of exercise you can't walk 20 minutes every day without a cane and without taking six advil then maybe you need something you know, yeah maybe you need something yeah, done right. um and so when when I say you'll know, you'll know is when your quality of life starts to diminish and it's unacceptable, right? And for shoulder surgery, it's easy. Like people tell me, well, why are you getting your rotator cuff done? And I could say the number one reason people do, it's not, if it's their dominant arm, they usually come quicker for other reasons. And women, interestingly, tend to come quicker than men because they can't reach their bra strap. Men uh, are okay if they reach uh, their yeah. back pocket, uh, women yeah. can get their bra and they're very unhappy. Oh, uh, Yeah. yeah. So, so they start having problems getting their bra strap on. They they know more quickly they've lost range of motion in their shoulder more in the uh, yeah. than then. But really the number one reason for shoulder rotator cuff repair is someone says to me, look, it's been hurting me for a year, but I can't sleep. I haven't slept a uh, the yeah. yeah. The shoulder pain is murder. I can't sleep. My life is terrible. I can't get the stuff out of the dishwasher and put it on the shelf. And I can't reach behind my seat in the car. I can't lift up two cups, of, a cup of coffee and a bottle of milk out of the refrigerator because my arm just drops you know, all those signs of of activities of daily living, they're becoming problematic, but they can't sleep or really gets them. They could be dropping their arm for three months, but all of a sudden they're not sleeping anymore. Then they come to see me. So that's, you know, the case. So going back to, do you know, I mean, it's the quality of life thing, right? All these things are not, most right. of these things are not cancer. You're not going to yeah. die. You don't get right. your hip replaced, right. but you can't go to the movies. You can't go out to eat. You can't yeah. walk with your friends. You can't shop. You know, you can't go to the supermarket, you know, then you're going to do it. Uh, and then, and then it's a little bit of uh, medical tourism in a way because you can, There's usually good people who are well trained, and the question is, is it a good match. Do you feel comfortable with the person? The person has a reasonable reputation in the community. Um, you have found that you can talk to them, and you're not afraid to ask them questions. And also, you have that comfort level that if something went wrong, they would be there for you. Okay, that's because good. Like, I know some people go to these <laughs> phenomenal technicians. They're really, really great technicians. But they never speak to them again once they've put the joint in. Oh yeah. Or they have no backup if something goes wrong. Yeah. So, so I think the, you know, the the that we always call this the dirty dozen. My one of my old partners used to joke with me about this is that we can do surgeries 95 percent of the time be great, right? But then there's the five percent that you have a problem. Five percent of a problem. You do enough surgeries. There's usually a dozen people floating around in your practice with something that isn't right because. Mm-hmm you know, that's the odds. It's just the way it is, right? You, yeah. No one's a hundred percent. And the question is, what do you do with those 5% or so that are, that have the, not the ideal outcome? How do you treat them? You know, what do you do with those problems and how do you get them through it and get them to a better place? Yeah, you know, once in a while it's unsolvable, right? And that's unfortunate, you know, disastrous infection or something like that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just can't solve that. And and sometimes it's biology, biology beyond your control, you just can't do anything about it. But most times you can work through it. And, you know, again, a lot of hand holding and doing all the right things. And maybe it means an additional surgery, but it's it's the doubling down of the effort to get those people better, which is the hardest thing to do. You know, they yeah. don't want to see you, you don't want to see them. You know, yeah. they, they they the doubling down of trying to get them over that hump. And then sometimes the realization of whether you can or cannot. And again, that's a very in orthopedics, fortunately, that's a very, very small percentage of patients. Yeah. Um, you know, I do tell my patients, you know this surgery might be 95% successful that means 95 people are 100% happy and five people are not 100% happy yeah and and it once you're the one of the 95 you're like thrilled with me you think i'm you know perfect but if you're one of the five I have to double down my effort to make sure we get you to a better place. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah that's always
1: been my contention. You just want to have a a good communication with whatever doctor you're working with or any kind of practitioner and and have a good feel for them that that they're going to be there for you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Well, this has been so good, so informative. I I think it's been we've given a little really a lot of good information. So uh, let's let, let's go ahead and tell our audience, you know, how, wh- where they can get a copy of your book, you know, the the Knee and Shoulder Handbook. because It's got so much great information in there. And then also, I, I know you mentioned that on your website you have some some free resources as well. So let's let's talk a little bit about that.
0: Okay, sure. So the, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's available online. You can you know look it up. There's an ebook as well. The um, if you're having a hard time finding it that way, the easiest way to find it is on my website. So if you go to if you go to Doctor D R Resnick R E Z N I K, and I always tell people I have the unusual spelling Resnick. Everyone does R E S N I C K or R E S N I K, whatever. But it's a Z. It's an unusual spelling. So it's it's only six let it's only six letters R E Z N I K, and it's drresnick.com. And I have on that website a series of videos of some surgical procedures, a couple of interesting cartoon explanations of knee problems where I've like teddy bears talking to each other. It's good for kids and for people who want a very simplistic uh, explanation. And then I have a lot of resources. I have a bunch of articles on different topics that I've written about. Um, I have a lot on AI and medicine and ethics and AI. And then I have the uh, links to my books as well. Um, So there's, there's a tremendous amount of resources for the average person. Um, and then, plus, okay. there's a couple of tips on knees. There's a little download thing where you can get the common knee problems listed and what to do about them. Uh, of course,
1: yeah, that sounds really good. And uh, of course, well, I'll put all this information in, in the in the show description, so they can. I'll put the links in there, so they can they can definitely get a hold of you. Well, uh, again, I just I really appreciate what what you're doing, and it, you're really providing really good service. I just want to say this is kind of a funny thing. I, I, was, I was going to say as you were talking a little earlier. Remember how you mentioned way back uh, how you thought uh, how we actually survived was because we could we could outrun the we had more endurance when I mean, we could outrun the, the the paleo man and also the. The saber tiger, or whatever it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that reminded me of that you've heard that joke, I'm sure, that funny joke about the two guys are camping and there's is a bear yeah. coming <laughs> running up. And, yeah. and the one guy starts putting on his running shoes, and the guy says, why well, you can't outrun a bear he says i don't have to outrun the bear I just gotta outrun you
0: that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's just, an old joke i love that that's, a, that's a funny joke
1: it? but <laughs> yeah. it's true yeah yeah it is true yeah. and to me that just also shows why it's important to be as fit and as energetic you know be as strong and as fit as you possibly can so so you can be ready for whatever comes your way injuries or whatever happens it's going to we are going to meet those kind of challenges so the better you can prepare yourself and and uh, it's all about prevention
0: as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Well, thank you for having me. This has been great. Oh,
1: oh thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. So if you enjoyed today's uh, episode, uh, be sure and uh, uh, tell your friends about the Fearless Aging podcast and and give us a good review of or, uh, wherever you, you get your podcast. And I always like to end all of my podcasts by saying, this is a, one of Einstein's sayings, knowledge without action is useless. So we always give you some great knowledge and some great information, but if you don't step up and take action on it, it's useless. So you learned a lot of good things today. You'll get a copy of Dr. Resnick's book and you'll learn a lot of stuff. And then you gotta take action, right? You got and the good news is you can do it, right?
0: Yeah. Right, Doctor? <laughs> you can absolutely, do it. So absolutely just step it. up
1: and do it. So yeah. so thanks to everybody for being here.
0: Thank you again.